0: Gracious God, thank you for bringing us safely to a new day. Preserve us with your power that we may not fall into sin or be overcome by adversity or anxiety. And in all that we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose. And may our study of the prophet Jeremiah this day always serve that one end. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: If you return, O Israel, says the Lord, if you return to me, If you remove your abominations from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in uprightness, then nations shall be blessed by him, and by him they shall boast. For thus says the Lord to the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts, O people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with no one to quench it because of the evil of your doings. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet through the land, shout aloud and say, Gather together and let us go into the fortified cities, raise a standard toward Zion. Flee for safety, do not delay, for I am bringing evil from the north and a great destruction. A lion has gone up from its thicket, a destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. Because of this, put on sackcloth, lament and wail. The fierce anger of the Lord has not turned away from us." On that day, says the Lord, courage shall fail the king and the officials. The priests shall be appalled and the prophets astounded. Then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, how utterly you have deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying it shall be well with you, even while the sword is at the throat. At that time, it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert toward my poor people not to winnow or cleanse a wind too strong for that now it is i who speak in judgment against them look he comes up like clouds his chariots like the whirlwind his horses are swifter than eagles woe to us for we are are ruined O jerusalem wash your heart clean of wickedness so that you may be saved your ways and your doings have brought this upon you This is your doom, how bitter it is. It has reached your very heart. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Disaster overtakes disaster. The whole land is laid waste. Suddenly my tents are destroyed, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are foolish, they do not know me. They are stupid children, they have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. Because of this, the earth shall mourn and the heavens above grow black. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and take note. Search at squares and see if you can find one person who acts justly and seeks truth, so that I may pardon Jerusalem. Although they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O oh Lord, do your eyes not look for truth? You have struck them, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take corruption. They have made their faces harder than rock, and they have refused to turn back. Therefore, says the Lord, the God of hosts, because they have spoken this word, I am now making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people wood, and the fire shall devour them. I'm going to bring upon you a nation from far away, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver is like an open tomb. All of them are mighty warriors. They shall eat up your harvest and your food. They shall eat up your sons and your daughters. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. They shall destroy with the sword your fortified cities in which you trust. But even in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. And when your people say, why has the Lord our God done all these things to us? You shall say to them, as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve strangers in a land that is not yours.
0: All right. Well, on that happy note, I'm going to take us back to the beginning of Jeremiah 4. And, you know, I I just want to acknowledge that this can be a lot to take in. This is our first time to really dive into um, a work of one of the prophets. And the prophets uh, often spoke in times of great economic Um, societal and spiritual turmoil. And this is one of those times. And so we're kind of feeling that as we listen to Jeremiah with his warnings and his anguish. Um, And my hope is that as we take seriously the warnings that he issues and try to integrate the wisdom of those warnings into our life, that we do so ever mindful of the hope that's also embedded in even the harshest. Uh, of these passages. And so we're going to look at that again, uh, look at that as well today. Um, So it it starts out with more pleading for Israel to return. And the comment was made last week that uh, there's a lot of parallels here with the prodigal son who leaves his father's house to go feed with the pigs and to spend all he has in dissolute living. And in a sense, this is the story of Israel. They have left their father's house and whether it is idols they're worshiping or relying on foreign nations or whatever it it is that they're trusting in, they're not trusting in the Lord. And the plea is to return that whatever repentance is, it, it starts with a turning towards God and a walking towards home the way the prodigal son did. And this is really God's plea. Um, and, and the Lord is ready Um, for Israel to be a blessing, that the Lord is ready for them to return so that the covenant can move forward. Um, God says, and if you swear uh, in truth and justice and uprightness and all the nations shall be blessed. And this reminds us that the original vocation of Israel as articulated when God called Abram, uh, in you and your offspring, all the nations shall be blessed, or as God says in Isaiah, I have given you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And so God's calling of Israel was never to be like a private party. um God's election of Israel was for Israel to be a beacon of light, really for the whole world. The blessing that was Israel's was meant to be. Uh, spread out uh, through Israel to the entire world, that God always wanted to bless the nations. And so what's at stake here and part of you know why God's going to be so angry is because it's not just that God's upset that his people are turning away from him, but rather because the whole rescue mission, the whole um, bringing the world back to God's self, in a sense hinges on this tiny band of people God has chosen. And, and so if they turn away from God, that blessing can't spread from them to the ends of the earth. And the key I think is justice. The people do not do justice. Um, that word in verse two is mishpat. Uh, it is, uh, one of the most prominent Hebrew words translated justice. It means fairness, equity, um, a proper judgment in all matters legal and ethical, and it's really just the way God expects individuals and societies to treat one another. And what we're going to discover as Jeremiah unfolds with this emphasis on the heart is that justice is not about going through the motions, right? Justice is not about military and temple policy, but it's going to have to do with uh, what God will call a Uh, circumcision of the heart. Um, That's verse four, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts. And so this imagery of uh, a circumcised heart is held um, alongside the outward form of circumcision um, that marks God's covenant people. I mean, that was a sign of the covenant. All the men of Israel got circumcised and that is an external sign of being God's people. Uh, that's what what you did. You got circumcised. And what God's saying is, you know, the external ritual is not enough. And we're going to get into this more next week when we talk about the people's reliance on the temple, even amidst their idol worship. God says, no, no, the covenant uh, is kept from the heart. You know, that's what y'all have been missing. The covenant is kept from the heart. Returning to me is not about exterior behavior. You return to me with your heart. Uh, Justice is not about external behavior. Justice begins in the heart. And so circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, i.e. the hardness of your heart. Anything that surrounds your heart that makes it difficult for God's love and grace to get in. And so when the prophet says in verse three, break up your fallow ground, it's another way of basically saying, you know, whatever those barriers are to having a soft, tender heart like God's, go ahead and break those things up. Uh, Fallow ground, uh, as I imagine you understand, this is land that has not been cultivated. And so this is land that has weeds and rocks and uh insects and i I don't know I'm, i'm not really a gardener but you gotta you gotta break that fallow ground up and you have to change it into soil where a seed can actually take root be watered and grow and it's almost like god's saying the same thing that our heart is like a wild desert with things surrounding it that need to be broken up and john the baptist will say something similar Um, whenever he prepares the way for Jesus's arrival, he'll say, prepare the way of the Lord. And um, I I think sometimes in the King James version, the translation is prepare a highway for our God. But the, uh, the imagery is that like back in the day, whenever a king was gonna visit a city, Um, you needed to make sure that the road was appropriate for that king to travel, right? You didn't want to send the king on some uh, road with a bunch of rocks and weeds and bandits. I mean, you needed to go like either build a highway for the king to travel or to really do a remodel on whatever road was going into the city. And it's almost like John the Baptist is saying that, you know, Um, there's got to be a road to your heart, right? You got to prepare some sort of road uh, between your life, this world and your heart uh, by which the Lord can enter in. Um, And so I trust you're kind of getting that imagery. So you got to prepare the road. You got to prepare the way so that the Lord has a clear path um, into your heart. And in a sense, uh Jeremiah is saying something very similar. Uh, I, I imagine John the Baptist was rooted in this imagery of break up the fallow ground. Because whenever one would build a road for a king, that's what you did. You you broke up the fallow ground, you paved a road, you removed barriers so that God could visit the heart, circumcise yourselves to the Lord remove the foreskin of your heart. And so Jeremiah is very interested in the people's heart, but the people's heart is not with God. And so in verse five, Jeremiah tells the people, um, go ahead and proclaim in Jerusalem by blowing a trumpet, you know, raising a standard that God is gonna bring judgment from the North. And here Jeremiah is essentially announcing and impending judgment that's going to come upon Judah. And so the people are called to gather in fortified cities uh, to raise a standard. That would have been like a military signal of sorts, a flag, uh, anything that represents impending danger. And then to flee for safety because um, there is an imminent threat from the north. Um, This threat is Babylon, They are symbolized in verse 7 by a lion. And this interesting imagery of the roaring lion that destroys is actually picked up in the New Testament as a metaphor for Satan. Um, uh, First or second, Peter says, um, you know, beware your adversary. The devil's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour But that imagery was first used by Jeremiah to describe Babylon, who's prowling around to devour the people of Israel. And he'll even say, you know, these people will eat up your sons and daughters. They'll eat up your cattle. They'll eat up your cities at at the end of this reading. And so the devouring lion is first a symbol of Babylon. And Babylon is coming, says Jeremiah. And when they come, verse 9 your courage shall fail. And the reason the people's courage will fail is because they are not trusting in the Lord. And so this day will come, you know, to use uh, Jesus's imagery like a thief in the night. And whenever the people come, the priests are going to be appalled and the prophets astounded. Um, Now, um, this, um, this word appalled, is a very interesting word uh in the Old Testament. It's going to show up a couple times in the book of Jeremiah and the Old Testament. It shows up in Jeremiah 18. Uh, and I think in Jeremiah 18, it's translated horrified. Um, but the book of Lamentations uses this word in a very interesting way, talking about, you know, uh how everyone's gonna pass by this. Awful sight and be horrified, horrified, and and shake their head. And I just say that because a lot of times on Good Friday, that's where that reading shows up, because uh, the the first um, Christians and the church fathers drew a connection between being appalled at Israel's exile and being appalled at the Son of God's exile on the cross. Uh, And what they wanted us to see was that whatever Jesus experienced on the cross uh, was almost, I mean, it was exile and more. And so this being appalled at exile um, is also a foreshadowing of people shaking their heads as they see the son of man nailed to a cross. In verse 10, Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, you've deceived this people, saying it shall be well while the sword is at the throat. You know, this is a tricky verse because God's actually very clear that things aren't well uh, in this book. I mean, God has not wavered. Uh, And so uh, what I think this means and what we're going to find out later on in the book of Jeremiah is that there's these other prophets who insist that nothing's wrong um there's this line that we'll get to later where they say peace peace where there is no peace and so you have a lot of prophets who uh, are telling the kings and the rulers and the religious leaders of Judah that you know everything's fine god's not going to let anything bad happen to us which is a popular message right but jeremiah says it's the opposite no something bad is going to happen and you need to return and repent Uh, before it does. And so part of what Jeremiah might be lamenting is that the people are believing the false prophets who don't actually think that God would ever let the holy city fall. And this is kind of hard for us to imagine, right? Because uh, if we are surrounded by enemies, uh, one would think that we'd be concerned. And maybe the people were concerned. But this is the holy city. I mean, Jerusalem had never really fallen before. Um, this is what could not happen. This is what God said would not happen. Now, God actually said it would happen if the people weren't faithful to the covenant. But the the memory of the people is that God would never let the holy city fall, that God would never let um, the kingdom of David fall. And so people are clinging to a false hope. And that really raises questions for us. You know, is there a place in our life where we cling to a false hope, um, thinking that God's going to intervene when God's love is actually allowing us to reap the consequences of our choices? Because in verse 11, uh, Jeremiah talks about how a hot wind is coming, and this is not a cleansing wind. It's a wind too strong for that. It's almost like a tornado that's going to knock down all the houses, Uh, but it's not going to mess up the foundation because God keeps saying that he will not make a full end. But um, this word wind in Hebrew is ruach. It means breath or spirit. Uh, And it is the same word that shows up in the book of Genesis with the spirit of God or the wind of God that brings order out of chaos. And so whatever this wind is, um, it is God's spirit, or it it is spirit. And so the early church fathers associated this with the third person of the Trinity. In verse 13, we have that curious verse, look, he comes up in the clouds. Um, that takes us back to the book of Daniel, that takes us to Jesus's ministry with the son of man coming in the clouds uh, just a kind of a little, a little nod there that's worth uh, mentioning. In um, verse 14, Jeremiah tells the people to wash their heart clean. Again, just a reminder that God is not looking for them to modify their behavior. Their behavior is a symptom of the state of their heart. And so it is with us, uh, whatever we do on the outside is a reflection of what's happening on the inside. And so the issue here for Jeremiah is one of the heart. In verse 18, Jeremiah says, your ways and doings have brought this upon you. Again, Jeremiah is just trying to get the people to be honest. Um, last week, there was that verse where, Jeremiah complains that the people insist that they are innocent and Jeremiah is not trying to get the people to wallow in guilt. He just wants them to be honest that they have not been faithful to the covenant and that their failure to be faithful to the covenant is tied to the catastrophe they will soon experience. Um, and, And so one of the things we can talk about is you know, so this, this idea of you've brought this upon yourself, right? If someone says to you, you've brought this upon yourself, my guess is that you associate that with feelings of shame and unhealthy guilt. And so there's a sense in which it's not helpful to tell people you brought this upon yourself, but it is helpful for each of us to be honest, um, without condemning ourselves about the way our behavior contributes to the very unpleasant things in life we often complain about right we we experience something unpleasant it's very easy to point the finger and to say oh that that person's responsible that mistakes responsible that politician's responsible that whatever is responsible for my pain but it never occurs to us to say well how did i contribute to this Like, how has my own, uh, how have my ways and doings helped bring this upon myself? It's a good question to ask. And um, one I imagine you have many um, opinions about. In verse 19, uh, someone cries out, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. That raises the question, who's in pain? Is this Jeremiah or is it God? And the answer is yes, um, that there's often a fusion between prophet and God in the book of Jeremiah. But it's a good reminder that, you know, God's not happy about this. You know, God's not sitting back on the throne with a smug grin, you know, mildly enjoying the people's pain because they have disobeyed. And so if you've ever actually... I mean, I think that the, the the Germans have a word schadenfreude. It's like whenever you take pleasure in the sufferings of others, if, if you've ever taken pleasure uh, in someone's pain when they have made a mess of their, you know, whenever they brought it upon themselves. So, for instance, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I've been on the highway, I'm driving 65 miles per hour and, you know, like someone cruises by at 120 miles per hour. And there's a there's a small part of my heart that wants to, you know, see them in an accident uh, on the side of the road. Uh, you know, okay, of course, I don't want them to be hurt. And there's a large part of my my heart that wants to see them pulled over being taken to jail. And that would actually rejoice in, in that suffering that they experience. Because um, because they brought it on themselves, right? But it's important to know that that's a a sinful reaction. God doesn't feel that. There's no shot and void on God's part. God just feels anguish because God loves his people. And so the judgment being brought upon them is not God inflicting pain on them because they've inflicted pain on God. God's actually in anguish because the people have turned away and now they have to deal with the consequences Of their choices and verse 22 God says through Jeremiah my people are foolish you know they don't know me and this is painful to God meaning the call here is to wisdom Um, Jesus often speaks of the foolish man who builds his house on the sand and whenever the rain comes it washes the house away because the foundation is on sand and not on the rock and here, Babylon is the metaphorical reign that is coming, and they're going to wash the people away because their house is not built on knowing, loving, serving God. It's not built on mishpat, right? It's not built on justice. Um, and so the message here is basically uh, the big bad line Babylon is coming, raise the standard, return to the Lord while you can. Um, and it sounds like it's all bad news. And for the people, it was all bad news, but it's also important to name in verse 27, this recurring frame in the book, this recurring refrain in the book where God says, yet I will not make a full end. I will not make a full end. And, uh, this shows up again, um, in chapter five, verse 18, but even in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. And so this hot wind that is coming, right? Um, God says, it's not a wind that's going to just winnow or cleanse. It's a wind too strong for that. And so this is not just a cleansing, but this wind is also not going to utterly destroy, right? I will not make a full end. And I, I think there's a word here for us because My guess is that there have been times in your life when it feels like that lion is coming for you, right? When it's coming to devour you, Um, that there might be times in your life when you can look in the mirror and honestly say, uh, you know, this is not all me, but I have brought this upon myself and I really feel like I'm down in the dumps and and God's not going to intervene and save me from the choices I've made. I think it's important to hear in those moments, this word, I will not make a full end that, that God, you know, even if we're reduced to a stump (laughs) that God is going to build us back up. And there's this great verse in Isaiah chapter 42, verse three, where God says a bruised reed, um, he will not break referring to the Messiah and a dimly burning wick. He will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth mishpat justice. And so whenever we feel like we're uh, just a a bruised reed, a little stick that, you know, the softest wind can tear apart, or we're like a little fire that just is going to burn out any moment. The whole point is, I will not make a full end. God's going to take that reed and build it into a tree. God's going to take that little fire and make it into a big fire. I will not make a full end. Um, In chapter five, we see one of the great themes of the Bible, uh, which is the search for the one just person. So chapter five, uh, run to and fro, look around, take notes, search the squares and see if you can find one person who acts justly and seeks truth so that I may pardon Jerusalem. This is just, again, a fascinating motif of scripture that God All God needs is one just person to pardon the people. And uh, we see this in the book of Genesis chapter 18, where Abram is speaking with God about the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, Abram says, you know, if there are 50 just people, will you save the city? And God says, yes. And Abram says, if there's 40 just people, will you save the city? And God says, yes. And Abram basically bargains God down to 10 but abram stops at 10 but one kind of knows the thread if there were just one just person god would save the city and so um this is a clear christological motif where the one just person through whom we are pardoned the one just person because of whom god will not make a full end will not be found um, at this time, right? He comes later. Uh, and this is going to be, um, for Christians, um, uh, the son of God, uh, Jesus Christ will be the one just person who acts justly through whom we are all pardoned. Um, I think that might be enough for now. Um, the one thing i just want to continue to emphasize in the midst of all the bad news is the good news uh and and it's, you know more specifically um these words i will not make a full end of you my guess is that there's some place in your life where you need to hear that and to be reminded that um whatever exile you are experiencing Uh, is not going to destroy you. Even if it's a hot wind that's doing a little bit more than cleansing, it's not one that's going to completely knock you over for good.